Welcome to East Lansing Crime Warp, a podcast hosted by Rina Danielle and Wajiha Kamal. Each week, we'll update you on current crime, and then we'll take you back to a crime blast from the past. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned. But first, local crime updates. Earlier today, there was a bomb threat at St. Thomas Aquinas School in East Lansing. ELPD was investigating this bomb threat that was received via phone. A search was conducted by canines from ELPD, MSUPD, and Michigan State Police Department. A bomb was not found. This is an active and ongoing investigation. If you have any information, contact Lieutenant Scott Sexton with the ELPD Detective Bureau at 517-319-6916. Our next crime update is about the arrest of MSU Police Captain Valerie O'Brien. As of Thursday afternoon, Michigan State University Police Department Captain Valerie O'Brien had been arrested and is being held at Ingham County Jail. No charges were listed in the online jail records and no hearing has been scheduled according to online court records. There's really not much known about what's happening at the moment, but once we do find out information, we'll keep you updated. Today, we'll be talking about the disappearance of Deanie Peters. On February 5th, 1981, Deanie Peters, a 14-year-old girl, disappeared from Forest Hills Central Middle School in Grand Rapids. Some people say her, her last name as Pyle Peters. She's a Caucasian female with brown hair and brown eyes. Her full name is Dean Marie Peters, and her nickname is Deanie. She smokes cigarettes, her ears are pierced, and she has a birthmark on her lower back. Deanie, an eighth grader, was at her six-year-old brother's wrestling practice. She told her mom, I'll be right back, and was never seen again. Deanie never arrived at the restroom. No one saw her anywhere near there. She was last seen walking out the door of the gymnasium. Accounts differ as to whether she was going to a friend's house or merely wanted to smoke a cigarette. She left her wallet, purse, makeup, jewelry, clothing, and several hundred dollars behind at home. At the time, she's wearing a brown ski jacket, a pink sweater, 27 to 32 inch levies blue jeans, a cream colored scarf with the word ski written on it in dark brown letters and white knee socks. Mary Peters, Deanie's mother, was 34 when she disappeared. She made a plea on television for her child. Peters currently resides in Arizona. She's 74 years old. Deanie would have been 54 years old today. She was declared legally dead in 1991. So the first thing that sticks out to me is that she walked out of a school gymnasium and went missing. Yeah, nobody saw her. Like you would think that, you know, typically when somebody disappears and doesn't come back, um, they've been kidnapped or something like that. But in, in a school, that's very hard to believe that somebody was kidnapped you know what I mean and also I think that there were also security cameras or something um that would have caught that yeah it was the early 80s though so I guess okay yeah that's that's true probably a reason for the cameras but I do find it odd how nobody how nobody saw her near the bathroom and they Mm -hmm. saw her exit the gymnasium but nobody saw her outside or something yeah especially when there's probably maybe parents out there because it's Mm -hmm. a wrestling practice very interesting yeah it's a very weird circumstance for sure 
According to Wood TV, the former leader of the cold case team that investigated the disappearance of Deanie Peters says witnesses are still holding on to secrets that could solve the case. Retired Michigan State Police Detective Sergeant Sally Walter, Walter said there's no doubt that there are individuals who have chosen to remain silent for whatever reason and not tell what they know about this case. The unfortunate part about that is evil doesn't have a conscience. Detectives were focused on the school janitor, Arthur Diaz, at the, in the beginning. He stated he was cleaning a school office the night of her disappearance and never saw her. Authorities checked the school incinerator because someone might have tried to burn her body, but no evidence was found. Diaz is no longer a suspect in Dini's case. I honestly don't know what to say about this because the fact that they know that there were witnesses to it, but they don't know, um, like they said that nobody had seen her but they know that there are witnesses. Something. Yeah, that's definitely an irregularity. Yeah, the math is not mathing. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. And I also find it odd how they first uh, suspect Arthur Diaz. I wonder what made them suspect the school janitor. Right. Um, versus maybe a parent, considering mm-hmm. they were at a wrestling practice. And I also find it odd how they suspected that someone may have tried to burn her body. I do wonder why they would think that. Um, Especially why would someone burn somebody's body in the school incinerator? I just find that really odd. Yeah, I think that it's it's kind of logical, but it's also very specific. Um, Like you would you'd have to kind of have insight about that, I feel like. And in theory, wouldn't there be, you know, more than one staff member or more than one janitor? Why specifically him? Yeah, th- I find that also quite odd. Um, why they would turn their eyes to Arthur Diaz over a parent, considering there were parents there. I just find that really, like, inconsistent with what we previously already know. Yeah. However, detectives were unable to clear Bruce Bunch. He was 17 at the time, a high school junior and living in Lowell. The Kent Metro cold case team couldn't clear him either. They started working on the case in 2008. The Kent Metro cold case team interviewed 200 plus people and searched up to 15 possible burial sites. The case went cold again afterwards. Walter said, They discovered some proof that Bruce had some involvement in this, along with others, and our focus then went to those people. That's interesting that they suspected a student as well. That's very different um, to suspect a janitor and then a student. Yeah, I find that sort of inconsistent as well. Yeah, and why specifically, again, like that student? It's a practice. There's probably other families, other siblings, uh, maybe even an athlete was out there. So it's just, um, it's very intriguing how they uh, pick certain people out in these situations. Definitely. I also think it's odd how they know that there's um, evidence and proof that this Bruce has some involvement, yet they didn't really take this avenue. Yeah, I want to know the extent of the evidence against him or what makes them unable to rule him out completely for sure. Well, we'll find out when we discuss theories up next. The first theory is about Bruce. So two days before Deanie went missing, missing, she had a physical altercation at school with two other girls. They were fighting over boy, and the two girls allegedly threatened Deanie and told her to stay away from him. Bunch drove at Deanie to scare her outside the middle school. His car slid on ice, and he hit her. 
Bunch then hid Dini's body and buried it later. This is all alleged and this is a theory of what happened. We will not know for certain whether this is a true and it's all alleged. Then again, Walter said they could not disprove this theory. Bunch died of a heart attack in Somerset, Kentucky in February 2008. He was an alcoholic. The cold case team was, I guess, too late and he was never charged or questioned in Dini's case. Apparently, Bunch told 20 to 30 of his friends, and nobody believed him, according to Walter. He told his first and second wives that he killed, and I quote, the girl from Forest Hills. His first wife said that he was violent and abusive. After drinking heavily, he would often black out and have no memory of what he did. She stated that he allegedly pushed her out of a moving vehicle and broke her ankle, and on another occasion, he threatened to run her off the road. He also allegedly told a friend he had run Dini over and, I quote, buried her under a pile of rocks near Snow Avenue. Walter said the cold case team interviewed the bunch group and they searched every avenue for possible answers or corroboration of this theory. She believes at least two people know what happened. If those individuals came forward, they wouldn't be persecuted either unless they helped kill Dini physically. Yeah, I think that... That is absolutely wild if he did kill her and then went and told, you know, all these people and nothing was done. But if they if they searched and couldn't find anything, then I'm wondering what's stopping them from, um, you know, I know that he's dead. They can't prosecute him, but I wonder what's stopping them from ruling him out completely, closing the case and moving on. Yeah, I agree. Actually, two things I question with this is how do they know that he was there if no witness um, would corroborate what happened, according to them? And I also think um, knowing his character, Bunch's character, from what we um, know so far um, from the alleged um, incidents with his first wife, my question is, this wouldn't necessarily be an accident then. It's very possible that he lost his temper um, Mm -hmm. and ran over Dini if this were to have happened. Yeah, and another thing that stuck out to me is they say that they know that there are witnesses that are withholding information, but if they can't place him at the the school when she was killed um, or when she disappeared, rather, Um, then how do we know that there are people that were with him when something allegedly took place? Oh, I definitely agree. And I also find it odd how he was never questioned or charged. He did die in 2008, but this happened in 81. Mm -hmm. If they knew that he had some involvement and they couldn't clear him, why why didn't they question him? Yeah, it's a very weird circumstance. Yeah, I definitely think that there's something off-putting about the way this has Mm -hmm. been gone about Um, and I think that there's a lot of inconsistencies as well. I definitely agree with you. A recent news tip suggested Dini is allegedly living in Florida. This is a really odd theory I found but I do think it's worth talking about. Yeah I think a lot of people do this um, especially when like celebrities die. People find photos of similar looking people and they're like oh this person moved to like this location to like get away and you know it's probably very unlikely but 
we've seen people do this before, like um, recently that case in Ohio, I believe, um, where that girl ran away to start a new life. I mean, I'm sure people do that. They find it easier to kind of leave themselves behind and start over somewhere else. But it's it's very weird that we went from thinking that she might have been killed by a schoolmate to thinking that she, at 14 years old, walked out of a school and moved states. Oh, I 100% agree with you. I also think she wouldn't have run away considering she left a bunch of money at home. I just right. think that people making these sort of tips are either looking for attention, um, and I think that's really disrespectful to her family. Yeah, I agree. Another theory suggests she was Vider Jane Doe. Vider Jane Doe was a teenager or young adult found deceased in Texas in 1984. It is said that she died in December 1983 because she was decomposed. The cause of death could have been due to decapitation, and the victim's mandible was never found. Doe was between the ages of 12 and 20. In 1984, Deanie would have been 17. Doe had two-inch long hair and had worn braces in the past. Um, a bluish green and white present or penny company pullover was found near her body. Doe's height was between 5'6 and 4'6. Deanie was 5'2 to 5'3 and also had pretty short hair, according to photographs. Um, she was wearing a brown ski jacket at the time, so that's not necessarily consistent with the pullover. Um, mm -hmm. The reasoning behind this theory is the similarities in facial structures. Um, I have looked at the sketches of Doe um, with her reconstructed jaw and then Deanie's age progress progression pictures and old childhood photos, and people think they look alike, apparently. You know, I think these are really intriguing because... There's, all, there's always something that, you know, connects them for sure. And then there's like a little piece of evidence like clothing or something that's inconsistent. And that's like the one thing that raises questions. And I just think it's odd how these things always work out. Oh, yeah. I definitely think it's odd how people will always find, like, always find a missing person. And, you know, there will be a Jane Doe found. And there's a comparison between the two's facial facial features and physical um, build, if you will. And I think that's quite interesting, but I don't think that's the case either. Um, mm -hmm. If it were, it'd be quite interesting. But my question is, how would she end up in Texas? Yeah, I mean, it's not consistent with any of the, um, the, the theories that they had had before that they're pursuing the investigation. They believe that her body was either disposed of in the incinerator or was buried under a pile of rocks. So, I mean, it doesn't really make sense, but it is very interesting. Yeah, and we already established that she probably didn't run away, um, mm -hmm. that this is a more probable abduction or murder along those lines, and being found um, deceased in Texas just doesn't really make sense either. Um, I think it's just another way for a lot of people to you know, create theories and unfortunately have some fun with a case. And I also think that's quite disrespectful to the family and the victim's family and what happened. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's always a possibility, though, that evidence was manipulated or her clothing was changed. I mean, in the Don Miller case, um, he, I believe he took clothing off of, um, off of his victims 
Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I don't doubt that. But I just feel like with what we already know and like the suspects and the other theories that this is more far-fetched than anything, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of people have similar facial structures. And then again, this victim, Jane Doe, her mandible was not found. So we can't say for certain that that's how she looked. Right. Thank you for joining us today. Stay tuned for another episode next week. If you have any Michigan true crime stories you'd like to see featured on a future episode, contact myself, Verena, at Verena M. Daniel on Twitter or Verena.Daniel at statenews.com and or Wajiha Kamal at Kamal Wajiha on Twitter or Wajiha.Kamal at statenews.com. Mm-hmm.